0: You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. That was good, I enjoyed that one. And if you guys have time, maybe after the service, if you guys have seen that one more time, it does go along well with the sermon. So maybe we'll close that as an invitation. Luke chapter 11, your Bibles. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. As you turn there, we'll get right into it. Looking forward. It's a great Sunday morning. Thank you all for being here. I'm excited a little bit more especially uh, than normal to preach. I'm looking forward to this message. Luke 11 verse 37 and we'll be just scanning over these verses all the way to 54 uh, throughout the sermon and you don't need to stand right now. We're, we're changing things up just a little bit. I hope you may took notice. It's actually a part of an illustration in the sermon that we will uh, point out later on. But a couple of weeks ago was my wife's birthday And for some odd reason, one of her gifts that she wanted, uh, she has a a gym membership, and she had asked on this particular day uh, for me to go along with her to the gym. And I think this is the first time I've ever been to a gym. I mean, I do not go to a gym at all. I mean, just walking from the house over here, I couldn't even do that any longer so I bought a Segway and so I, I travel across on a scooter. I don't even do walking much. And so my wife asked on this day, we had April, she's a great babysitter, she came in, and watched our kids for the morning, just was one hour, and it was one hour long. And this was a class, the instructor wasn't there, Uh, she said it was just a a normal class, but I was the only male inside this classroom, which it actually was a benefit, because I didn't have to uh, feign too much like I was strong, because there's no other men there. But we're talking about this group, there's probably maybe just ten ten or so different, different. we'll say people, individuals, we know they were, uh, any of them were not men, so they were just other people uh, that was inside this place, uh, they're all ladies, and Uh, Some of them were even uh, just even, however you want to put it nicely, up up in age. And they looked like just innocent gardeners Uh, coming in. They just probably tilled their little ground, planting some flowers, real sweet little faces. They got their weights ready, and they set their mats up. I did my mats, and I did some little stretches here and there. I said, "This this is easy. My wife's giving me the weights. And so all it was that day were thighs and triceps. Not only do I just not work out, I never work out those areas of my body. And we're talking the first five minutes in, I am as tight as can be. And then the video glitches, and it refreshes, it restarts. And I'm looking around, I'm like, don't worry, ladies, we already did this, just take a five-minute breather. And they're all just, I mean, they're just going to town. And uh, in fact, uh, it just was, it was unbearable to redo the same thing for five minutes. And I don't think it was 20 minutes in. I was trying everything I could, sweat started to pour down my face, and I don't sweat much uh, often, and so sweat started to come, and it was all over my body, and it just was not a comfortable feeling just being able to not even just work out, but not even work out with the, the sweet little gardeners that were next to me. I, I, it, was, it was embarrassing, and I was trying to fake that I could do it, and luckily I was towards the back, so I'm acting like I'm, I'm doing some squats, and I'm just going, one. To, we got anyway, come, come come on, ladies, keep on going. Let's go, let's go, let's push it. And so, anyways, that hour long, it was very sick. My wife said, oh, "Just make sure you don't throw up." I said, I'm not gonna throw up. I can do it. Now, I did not throw up, but we're talking ten minutes before the the the, weight, the workout ended. I was so nauseous, I was weak. My legs we were upstairs on the steps. I couldn't even walk down. I was walking bow legged. Everywhere for an entire week, she wanted to go one more time before we went to the ark. And I said, I can't do that type of workout before I spend all week long walking around these things. So that going said, I say all that to say this. When I was there working out, I feigned myself in front of other people to be something I'm not. I try to act like it wasn't hurting. I try to look to my wife, obviously, as she's going to town. I try to make it like I could keep up and that I was uh, wonderful doing it. Uh, but let's just be say uh, Richard Simmons would not be proud, and that sat on two different accounts, and I, I, cannot, I cannot handle that at all, but I feigned myself to act like everything was okay. In a way, going back to Luke chapter 11, I kind of was a little bit of a, if you want to say a hypocrite, I acted like I had a false pretense. I acted like it wasn't hurting when inside I could not continue to push on any longer. And it was embarrassing. I'm looking, now the the only thing to my at least male pride was I had a little bit bigger weights than two of the ladies, Uh, but the other nine, they uh, they were still going strong. So that was the only thing that helped me out there but anyways, uh, I no longer work out with my wife. Her birthday's not until next year, so I'll get it again that time. But while I was there, I noticed a lot of things that I had to try to fake myself to try to make it look like I was better than what I really was. Because I had not worked out ever, it made me put, it, it put me into a spot that I was not the person I thought I was or, thought or tried to be. And so today, just want to talk to you about, am I a Pharisee? Are you a Pharisee? And how Jesus creates an inside-out life. If you look through the Bibles, the Gospels, there are lots of different people that Christ comes in contact with. And just to, just to name a few, uh, he goes over and he talks to, obviously, the down and out. He talks to the hurting. He talks to the prostitutes. He talks to the adulterers. He talks to on, almost everybody. And every single time you see Christ talking to these individuals, he was kind And compassion. In fact, Christ really never got mad at almost anybody except for one group of people. Uh, You could be said of Christ, he was truly a friend of sinners. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. And truly, Jesus is a friend to sinners. But as we look at this passage, as we see, we see Jesus not the same type of friend that he was to the adulterers and the adulteresses and to the the lonely, to the down and out, to those that were afflicted, to those that were lame and halted, to those that had leprosy. Jesus was quite a different Jesus that we see through this passage. And there's, of course, uh, parallel passages in uh, Matthew chapter 23. We won't really turn there, but if you want to drop that down for your own study, a really great uh, depiction of Pharisees with Jesus talking with them as well. But we see uh, over and over again uh, that Jesus, when he talks to Pharisees, a different Jesus came out. He was upset. He was mad, called him uh, Pharisees, called him uh, lawyer, uh lawyers and Pharisees. He called them uh, just vipers and serpents and snakes. And we see here, going back to the Jim illustration, that there is a little bit of a Pharisee in us all, isn't it? It's kind of hard to admit that. I know for me it's hard to admit that. Uh, That's because we are all good defense attorneys of our own sin and great prosecutors of other people's sins. And we look at our sins as, well, it's not really the end of the world. But then we see someone else walking across just like the, the, the moat and the beam. And just like when the Pharisees, they would strain at gnats but swallow camels. And we say, well, we're not that bad. But I just noticed in my own life when I read the scripture, there was just, I couldn't but help but see there was times in my life where I had been a Pharisee. And it definitely was made known at the time of the gym exercise workout when I faked myself to be something else. So we're going to study Luke chapter 11, uh, 31 through the end. We're going to look at 37 through the end of some verses, but we're going to look at the marks of a Pharisee. I'm excited for today's message. I do want to let you know uh, that gym story was about the only type of laugh you may be getting today. That means I'm going to ask you to listen on purpose. It's a little bit deeper of a message that I really have ever preached before. I normally just make it light and fuzzy and throw in some Jokes and away we go for the end of the day. And today I'm excited. Uh, God's definitely been been bringing me through some things in my life, and so this is a culmination of a couple of years how God has grown me, and that I just would like to share from my heart uh, through this passage. And I pray that you will listen. Uh, They say listen purposefully as if we never listen purposely. we Do we listen on accident? I don't know, but if you could listen purposely on that one, we'll look at this, we'll pray and get right with it. Lord, we thank you so much just for the sermon that you laid on my heart. I do pray as I preach it, Lord, uh, that you just would speak, Lord, may it be your words and may you just help us to truly have an inside out life, Lord, how you create it, Lord, how you desire it and may we stay far away from how the Pharisees lived their life. Lord, please, is our prayer, give us wisdom, guidance, direction, Amen. So Luke 11, verse 37, and he spake a certain Pharisee, and as he spake, a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him. And he went in and sat down to meet. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner so here we have the pharisee inviting jesus into his own house and we know what happens they had a lot of different ceremonial laws i'm not even going to pretend like i know everything that they did back then uh, but they would have washings and things that were back in in, in Moses days when he gave the ceremony laws he gave all these different things and in, in exodus leviticus numbers uh deuteronomy there but Jesus here, it was not a ceremonial law. They had a lot of different diverse washings uh, that they were supposed to partake in. Uh, but one before your food was not one. And so hopefully you still have your kids washed before they eat dinner. But here we see Jesus, he did not wash before he ate dinner. And the Pharisee marveled. Now later on, we're going to get to the end of the chapter the Pharisee, imagine this, this is why we give the Pharisees such a hard time, because they're just horrible people. And then to say, am I a Pharisee? We say, surely we're not. But we're going to look at some different things throughout this uh, these verses here. But as they marvel that Jesus did not wash his hands, later on, almost, and I don't know the Pharisee's intent, but we see later on in verse uh, number Uh, Whereas I think 54, when they were laying wait for him, they literally had Jesus at the house to try to catch him in a trap so they could truly kill him, persecute him, stone him so they could catch him and find out that he was a liar, a false, a false priest. And that was what I believe to be their entire intent. So here the Pharisee is, he is marveled the fact that Jesus didn't wash his hands, which wasn't in the scriptures. But thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not plot against a man to kill his life, which obviously was in the scriptures. They completely forsook that one because, and they were so uh, appalled that Jesus did not wash his hands. And so here we see. Pharisees, they built an entire system, an outside-in system, which we're going to look at the word legalism. Uh, point number one, Pharisees build an, an outside-in system, but Jesus transforms from the inside out. Verses 39 through 41, let's look at those verses. And the Lord said unto him, Now do ye, Pharisees, make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening. And wickedness ravening just means to plunder to plow almost greed uh, ye fools did not ye that made uh did not did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also but rather give alms of such things as ye have and behold all things are clean unto you will unpack this here in just a little bit but he calls them uh, they make sure the outside of the cup is clean but the inside is dirty, it's greed, it's nasty. You ever grab a cup from the dishwasher and it didn't do its job? Or maybe uh, the other person in the house uh, didn't maybe clean the inside too well? I don't have a problem too much of the inside of the cup being dirty. I'll tell you what I have a problem with the inside of the cup being, it still has a little bit of soap in there. And so here I am putting water in my cup and I should notice bubbles inside my cup. Why don't I notice that? But yet, I think maybe just something's a little bit weird with the, the air. Nothing can be water should not have bubbles inside there and yet I take a drink and I get very upset that there's soap residues Still inside my cup, but have you ever taken a cup and the inside? There's just some food gunk inside there. and It's just gross You instantly put it back away or maybe you pick it out or maybe you just say uh, Maybe maybe you actually sadly have the entire cup and then you notice it towards the end and then nothing is nothing is worse than that But let's let's look at here the word legalism legalism legal refers to rules or laws. It's to be bound again by the law. And we're going to look at some verses that explain that in just a little bit. The more common definition is this the belief and practice that eternal salvation can be attained through obedience to religious law. Or Good works and so we know there's a lot of religions out there uh, that tell people maybe you need to do something to work something Maybe to uh, to do a, a, a certain amount of steps in order to reach God's good favor and that would be legalistic That would be wrong. We cannot obtain God's favor by doing anything It is all by grace for by grace are you saved And then the next definition here that we're we'll look at of legalism is what more so will spend time on It's someone who is all about the rules And obedience to those rules that somehow merits God's favor. So the belief that if you do something enough or well enough uh, that you can now merit God's extended favor on your life. Meaning that God's going to almost pick you up out of the entire church. And highly exalt you because you have listed. Like these Pharisees, they cleaned the outside of the cup. They were, and they were a notch above the rest. In their time frame, they were highly exalted above anyone. That's because there was all, a lot of man worship there. And it was a a, a terrible system where they exploited it. And Jesus, that's why Jesus exploits them. And that's why Jesus is always upset with them. Here's the definition of legalism that I like. It's on the the board, that thing back there. Legalism is externally imposed human religion, which attempts to change a person or measure their worth from the outward end. And I am so glad that Jesus just loves us and it's all by grace. We can't do anything to get saved, it's only by Jesus. And we can't do anything afterwards keep God's favor on our life. It's all by Jesus. And we're going to unpack this here in just a little bit. But verse number uh, 41, going back to it, here they are condemning Jesus for not washing his hands. And Jesus goes back and he just retaliates uh, fire with fire. I can imagine I'm not the very uh, most confrontational person. And so whenever I'm inside of a, 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 a room or a place where maybe some confrontation has to happen, it's very awkward for me. And here you see Jesus, he Throughout all of the scripture, I'm nothing but love and compassion and just gentleness. God is slow to anger. He is long suffering. But what you see here at the Pharisees, Jesus just lets them have it and he starts to begin to chew them out. He exploits their wrongful living. And, and he tells them in verse number 41, talking about the alms and how they have made their cup clean. And they're talking about in Deuteronomy 26, it tells us this, when Jesus is referring back to it, that they were supposed to give of to the fatherless, to the widows, uh, to the strangers of the land, to the Levites. And then they're supposed to clean their portions or mainly talking about the monies. Then they're supposed to have their money for themselves. But they were taking advantage of the people. It's almost like maybe uh, some of the, that the, the, I don't want to say everyone, one's bad just because they're on TV, but the televangelist preachers, uh, maybe the, the faith healers that ask for money and change, they're almost exploiting the people to get to benefit off of them, and very sad, very shameful, and that's why we see Christ uh, definitely exploiting their wrong behavior, because he's they're corrupting the word of God, they're corrupting what Christ had intended, and so I just want to let us know today, may we knock it off on tiny, minuscule, Little laws, and though we do have little laws, whatever you want to call it, we have things that we govern our life by by the Word of God. But we see that we see the, the Pharisees—they got off on these little laws. Some of them weren't even biblical, and they would hold those up over other people and make them live by that standard of life. And, there's, and they left out the big values of the gospel. They left out the big things that were the weightier matters. Jesus says, and so may we why we go across our Christian life. May we not be so focused on the little minute splinters that almost are like the, the beams and the moats in our eyes where we look at other people and say, well, they should be doing this or they should be acting this way or maybe they shouldn't be watching this or maybe they should be watching this and I don't have a TV and they have TVs in every single room or they have a 70-inch TV or I don't watch any of those movies or they don't watch Disney movies or all of these different things we get our life wrapped around all these different things in life that are just tiny minuscule splinters in our eyes that they become the big beam that we can't see anything else in the Bible and the doctrine because all of our mind is focused on that one thing that someone has. Jesus said they they strained at gnats which were unclean, non-coaster animals, but they swallowed camels which also were non-kosher. They weren't supposed to have either of those. But the irony irony of that is the fact that we are so careful for the little gnats flying around. Meanwhile, we have a giant camel on our plate that we're eating that we're not supposed to have either. And so may we just be careful of that. May we we make sure that we are in the ministry of grace and compassion and mercy. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is our Christian jobs to do is to be reconciling and bringing people to Christ, not getting off in all these different caverns of, of just religious uh, ideologies and just different things that just make us so segregated from other people. May we get back to the meatier things of the word. May we get back to the ministry of reconciliation. But here we see the, the, the Pharisees uh, they care so much about uh, they care so much about the the outward appearance, uh, but we care more about the heart over the appearance. We don't want to manfa- manufacture external conformity Romans twelve, but we want to have the Word of God truly have an internal transformation that starts from the inside and works its way out. The Pharisees they truly were masters at manufacturing external appearances of holiness that means they look good everywhere they went but on the inside Jesus calls them as dead men's bones may we not look so good on the outside that on the inside it's fleshly it's corrupted odors it stinks it's rotten and here are these Uh, one commentator put it joyless authoritarians and that what a great way to look at that in life these pharisees They truly had everything right on the outside, but they were just a joyless dictator, joyless authoritarian that just came around and just barked their set of rules at other single people. And religion says do while Jesus says done. Religion says slave while Jesus says son or daughter. And praise the Lord that Jesus makes everything simple. Jesus takes all of the law, 636 something laws in the Old Testament, and Jesus just focuses it and makes it so much simple into two, just into loving God and loving people. And if that wasn't even easier, we don't know how to love people. He said, love people as you love yourself. That even makes it easier for me because I know how I love myself. I make sure that I have my uh, special ice cream. I make sure that I have my special things in life. And when I see other people, what do I do? I give them the, uh, the other stuff behind my ice cream to them. <laughs> Why is that? Because I'm a Pharisee. I'm a hypocrite. I don't give of my own stuff. And that's just because we that's just intrinsically who we are. So Jesus, as simple as can be, love God, love other people like you love yourself. And that's what Jesus does. That's how Jesus makes everything so simple. So the next thing that we're going to look at, verse number 42, the Pharisees cling to traditionalism, but Jesus offers justice and love. And The Bible here, but woe unto you, Pharisees, ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. So here they go. You've heard different illustrations. This pastor has even talked about this where they tithe of the mint and the rue, things that were just down to a little microscopic thing to say, look at my life. We have everything in order. But Jesus then blasts them and says, you pass over judgment and the love of God. And may we we notice today that we are so, uh, may we be more attentive to the Holy Ghost uh, than we are at just different things in our life or different things that have always been. Today we all participated in a group illustration or uh, just uh, uh, we we change the order of service to maybe see how that gets us. To maybe if it un, if it ruffled our feathers, maybe some of you didn't even notice anything. I even got changed. I don't know. But when you change something because maybe that's how we've always done it, it's amazing how instantly the first reaction is, "What are we doing? Why are we doing this differently?" And we're looking at how the Pharisees they cling to traditionalism, but they they pass over judgment and love. And traditionalism is the upholding of maintenance of tradition, especially so as to resist change. And someone once said, I think my wife was talking to my sister-in-law, and they said uh, it was a quote that they had heard of something of that sort. But I hope the Old Testament saints uh, don't ask us what it was like living with the Holy Ghost in our day, the Holy Spirit of God. Because so many times, though we have the Holy Spirit of God, we live without them almost every day of our life, and we only use them when we feel like we need to because we rely back on maybe how things have always been done. And so uh, we see the Pharisees, they focus on the minor rather than on the, major, on, the, on the major. They clung to the works and the traditions, and they pass over the judgment and the love. Uh, you see, we need both of that. We need judgment and love. Judgment is what God must do to sin, but love is what God wants to do to sinners. And we have a great God. If you don't have both of those, you don't have a good God. And I'm so glad and so happy that we have a God that has both of those, judgment and love. And to illustrate that very easily, if someone were to harm or hurt my wife and I knew about it and I saw something going on, I would quickly easily, now like I said, it would have to be the other two ladies in that class. Other than that, I wouldn't be able to stand against them. But if someone was trying to harm my wife, I would go to them in a righteous, Indignation and a righteous anger that would be fully that you would say was deemed worthy, and I would do whatever, whatever was in my means. It would be just, it would be good to harm this individual who was harming my wife or my family or someone else. And that's exactly what God is. The God has, He deals with everything bad and He must judge the sin, but yet He wants to rescue me. Isn't God so wonderful? God has reconciled us through Jesus who was made sin for us, who knew no sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God. That's our God. That's our Savior. And that's Jesus standing up to the Pharisees and telling them you need judgment and love. And you're missing all of it. And he's, he's almost chewing them out. And then in another parallel passage, we'll look here. Mark chapter 7. Uh, the words are up there on the screen. He answered and said unto them, Well hath the Messiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How be it in vain do they worship me? teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things like ye do. Verse 13, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such things ye do you. And what a sad testimony that was as Jesus is just once again uh, ripping into the Pharisees. So we see uh, that they have elevated a a form of traditionalism, a form of works over judgment and love. We see how Jesus makes that all right. And then lastly here, Pharisees puff up performance-based works. But we see Jesus, he humbles us with grace. He loves and nurtures us. Verse number 43, uh, we'll read a couple verses here. Woe unto you, Pharisees. For ye love the uppermost seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets. And just right there, that just that form of performanceism, we'll, just, we're, we'll unpack that in just a little bit. But that is anyone for doing anything of a show. I don't know if you've been there. But I've surely been there. I've done things based on a show before. And that is where every time I, when I do preach or run things for the Lord, I do try to make sure my heart is right before God and is God being seen and not myself. Uh, he must increase. I must decrease. But here are the, the Pharisees. Uh, they they love the uppermost seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets. Uh, we see other passages where they would go around and feigning themselves to be uh, fasting before people. Uh, they would walk around in numbers that talks about uh, Jesus wanted them to have the commandment to make to where they would remember all what God brought them out of. So they would almost wear tassels on their, on their robes. And the Pharisees, they would just extend their tassels. Uh, I did a program called Neighborhood Bible Time in college, and we did ribbons. Uh, uh, I don't know if you might have heard of it, but it, it was like a reward system for the children. If they had a memory verse, they would get a ribbon cl- uh, pinched on their coat. And a little bit goofy reasons, but as the, as the instructor or whatnot, as the, as the evangelist, uh, we would have all the ribbons that we would display and attempt to have the kids want to earn those ribbons. And the, the program wasn't wrong, it was a great program. The kids memorized verses, uh, things like a Waters or Masters Club, very similar uh, reward system. But here are these disciples, or these Pharisees, they're taking their, and I would walk around, they, the thing what they would do is, it was kind of like the, um, the, uh, the wordless book, it had all the colors of the wordless book, so the, the thought was behind it, if someone comes up and asks you at the airport, while you're flying with these ribbons, you would then just break out into, into soul winning mode, and it was very effective. But just it really humbled you walking around with a bunch of ribbons, like you know you were uh, in eight, you were back in fifth grade and you have all your trophies for your entire life as a 20 year old man walking around. And so, anyways, the the Pharisees they would have these tassels and they would just extend them all the way down to their feet, and that was supposed to make them better than the rest because of all the things that they remembered in their life. And Jesus just, he just begins to uh, exploit those and attack them. Verse 44, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye as graves which appear not, and as the men that walk over them are not aware of them. Isn't it amazing how religion, how Phariseeism, how it just covers corruption, but we see Jesus exploits it. We see Jesus uh, atones for it. He doesn't exploit uh, the wrong, the evil, the sin to necessarily yell at you. He exploits it so it's in front of you, so he can pay for it, so he can take your uh, uh, sins for you. Jesus is so wonderful. Verse forty-five. Then answered one of the lawyers and said unto him, Master, thus saying, thou reproaches us also. And this is awesome. Jesus says. And he said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye laid men with burdens grievous to be borne. Uh, here we see just how performance-based Christianity, how it just controls and oppresses you, laden that would be uh, laden with burdens grievous to be born. Woe unto you, verse forty-seven, for ye build the sepulchers of the prophets and your fathers killed them. Truly, you bear witness that ye allow and ye build their sepulchers. And, uh, in another, in John chapter eight, uh, I'll read a couple more of these later. But they're talking to Jesus. Once again, and they're saying, "Well, we are of our father Abraham." And then they go on further and say, "Actually, we are of the children of Israelites. We are of our father God." And what does Jesus say to them? "Ye are not of your father God. Ye are of your father the devil." And can you imagine these people? How just seething and just at the mouth they were foaming and frothing and just ready to kill this man Jesus. And uh, just because of how he exploited their Pharisaical system, he literally turned it, ripped it to shreds, and then. And at this point, we're looking at just the performance-based thing, and there's just a really great way that kind of explains it. And this was a pattern that I had in my life that I'm glad God helped bring me out of uh, about a year ago. Performance-based moralistic legalism is like climbing a never-ending ladder with each rung growing further apart from the next uh, from the next, the higher you go, it's constantly trying to get climb higher and higher to God by your own, by your own faith, by your own works. And I'm not. This is more so for those that are saved, those that know Jesus is their Savior. You try to maybe earn God's favor, maybe you try to earn God's merit or good standings, and you say, "Well, I'm not, I know I can't earn God's merit." but yet maybe you run uh, some type of Sunday school class or some type of class or something throughout the week. And this is where I was before COVID happened, uh, running we're, we're the bus and being happy if my numbers were up, being down if my numbers were down, and never truly feeling worship with God until after a Sunday morning. And I was in this. And when you in that performance-based Christianity, it's untainable and it leaves you defeated and worn out. It leaves you almost in a burnout mentality. And you realize because you were all doing it on your own, you're doing it because maybe for other people, maybe because you thought that if I do this long enough, good enough, that it's going to make me look better. I don't know all the reasons in my life why I had this system, but I did. I was, it was just all, uh, it was this system. And the, the sad thing about the system is it burdens you down with anxiety. And throughout that time, you just, you feel this weight. It's almost, and we're going to look at it here just a little bit. It's going to get real good here. Pay attention. Galatians 5, one. we we're coming for it. And here, this system that just burdens you down, it pushes you down, it just compresses you, and it makes you feel like you can't get out, you can't escape. Uh, But I got good news here, Ephesians 1:6. He hath made us accepted in the beloved. We are accepted by God because of Christ, what he has done for us, there is nothing we need to do because we can't do it. We can't do it for salvation and we can't do it after salvation. I can't preach enough messages to make God love me even more. Uh, I've said it before, uh, it was a quote from Scott Pauly, but there is never a day God started loving you and there'll never be a day God stops loving you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He can't love you any more than he does right now and he won't love you any less than he does right now. That is our God. There's nothing that we need to do to earn God's love. And the Pharisees, whatever reason, in their system that they built, they were just were slaves to it. And we are accepted by the beloved. We don't serve to gain acceptance. We serve because we are accepted. Uh, Ephesians or Colossians 2, 6-10, after we have received Christ, so walk ye in him. Verse number 10, and ye are complete in him. We are complete in Christ. There is nothing we need to do to add to this system. Uh, that's just religious works, and we know that we can't use that to get saved. Why do we think we need that in order to stay in God's favor? We are built. We are accepted, and we are complete in Christ. A quote from Paul Chappell, Our worth is not achieved, it is received. And our value is not based on our performance. It is based on God accepting us into his family what's so scary about this performance-based works and traditionalism and legalistic i don't think i showed you but there's a there's a slide Ms Don. i skipped it a couple of, a little bit ago but here's the slide that really breaks down uh legalism and we a lot of times we look at maybe stay as far right as we can but here we see christ in the dead center we see the flesh the license the the, the live for the flesh over onto the left side but we see just as bad as the left side We see another pitfall, which is legalism. They're in bondage. They're enslaved, just like the Pharisees. This is the law of the Pharisees. They were religious people. They were good people, but they had themselves in bondage again in sin. And what's so scary about the performance-based legalistic system that the Pharisees built is undoubtedly when we go through those systems, they're good-intentioned, but it leads to extra-biblical rules that we unknowingly believe to be holy, biblical And right. And that's what Jesus exploited and took out the Pharisees from that one. Galatians 5:1, here it is. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Let's free ourselves from this, the chain of religious works, of religious traditionalism, or maybe even religious performance-based. Christ's liberty sets us free from this bondage of the law by His grace, and it is only through His power we can be sanctified and not our own efforts. And that's another thing I would love to continue talking, but we're going to end it here right now. But that area of sanctification we almost think that we know, we know through justification it's only by faith. But yet we think sanctification, we grow in God by focusing on that. We don't grow in sanctification by focusing on sanctification. We grow in our sanctification, in our process, by focusing on our justification, on what God has done for us. That's what we do. We know for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should sure boast. That's salvation. That's justification. Here is our sanctification. Verse number 10, Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are his workmanship. If I couldn't do anything to get saved, what makes me think that I could do a better bus route, a better message, a better you name it, Sunday school class. A better way to love my family. What makes it, I think I can do something better to grow in my sanctification? It's all God's process. It was God's process for salvation, and it's God's process for growth. Now, don't don't just easy code over this. We do have our work to do, and well at, with it. But I don't want to get us past this area of performance-based Christianity. It was just a, it was a sad time in my life when I experienced it. And it's easy to fall back into. And what's sad is sometimes you don't even know that you're in it. And uh, Philippians 1.6 says, Be confident of this very thing, that ye which have begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. There is nothing... Now, maybe I shouldn't say it that way. But Christ is the one who is going to perform that work because I am His. He is working in me and that is the work of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God is going to create in me and make me perfect, thoroughly finished unto good works. That's God's work. There's no stress about it. There's no anxiety about it. I don't have to worry about, am I doing things right? It's God working in me and He will perform it because I am accepted and I am complete. There's nothing more I need to do. God will do it through me and I just stay yielded to God and he helps complete in me and it's a wonderful process. It is complete in Christ and God is so good and the, the, um, the thing that's sweet about God is he is so gentle. He's a gentle gardener. Those little sweet ladies that knew how to do some workout weights, I bet they knew a thing or two and maybe I'm just stereotyping, I don't know. I bet they knew a thing or two about gardening And that's the same thing as God. He knows how to cultivate our ground. He knows how to work through us. He knows how to work in us. He is long-suffering. He is gentle. He is slow to anger. He is abundant in goodness and truth. God has this all figured out. I don't need to go on to somebody and tell them what they're doing or what they're wearing or how they're behaving is wrong. I'm not the Holy Spirit for you and you're not the Holy Spirit for me. We have God that's going to do this work through us and in us. And then we see it closing in Luke chapter 11. Uh, we see the fact that I kind of skipped over, I already kind of said it but verse number 52, woe unto you lawyers for ye have taken away the key of knowledge and that tied into the sanctification process but that legalistic system, it throws away how their ability, uh, it makes you a hostage. And Jesus came to free us. Be not entangled again in the in the bondage, in the yoke of bondage. And so I'm so glad that God has freed us. And so a couple questions, I'm going to run through these. Uh, the first half, or for those maybe that don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you are trying this thing called religion out and not a relationship with Jesus, here are some questions for you. Am I a Pharisee? Are you working at religion, or are you trusting in Jesus? Are you a hostage to a system, or are you saved by a savior? Are you proving your goodness to God, or are you admitting your sinfulness to God? Are you cross-examining others, or crying out for God's grace and mercy? Are you trying to justify yourself, or is Jesus your justifier? And for those that are saved, no, it's nothing that I can do. It's all because Jesus has cleansed me and made me whole. He has justified me. He has regenerated me. And now I am made new. And for those that are Christians, those that have that hope that lies within us, here's some questions to examine before you. If there is any level of pharisaism in our life, in your life, am I examining others before I love them like Jesus does? Am I prosecuting other sins in my own mind while defending and excusing my own sins? Am I putting on a show while secretly burying internal corruption and sin and greed? Am I proud of my goodness and spiritual accomplishments or am I humbled every day by his grace? That's one that I have to keep on going back to. Am I serving to justify myself or am I proving my own goodness or or proving my own goodness by performance? Or am I coming back every day to know Jesus is working in me and he is the one that justifies me? Am I making more of traditions than I do of the gospel? Am I holding others to a higher standard than I do myself? Am I giving out and extending to others the same grace that I have, that I have received? Am I satisfied keeping a religious list or am I every day growing in love with my Savior? Am I performing for Him or is He performing in me? Am I measuring myself or am I simply growing in Christ? And those are just different questions to ponder, to look at, because we all have some trace of Phariseeism. And I know I have some in my life. And it was, in times, a lot more, some less, and then right back at it. It's something I constantly have to make sure I rid myself of these marks of the Pharisees, making sure that they're not running my life, because it's very easy to even be an assistant pastor to look at other people. I went to another church and I had to constantly stop myself from judging, from looking, from saying, okay, how did they do this? Or how how is their heart on this? And why is that? There's just a Pharisee in us all. And I'm constantly trying to squander that, to push it out, to get rid of it, and not to look at other people. There was a sense of freedom when I came to church on Sundays with just the intent to worship God, not caring what anyone else did, not caring what anyone else wore, not caring what numbers I had in, in what places, just truly liberating and freedom in Christ when you could just worship him tre- truly and freely for who he is. And God has done a wonder through me. And this was just a small excerpt of what God is doing. I look forward to just learning and building what God's going to do in the next years to come uh, through my life. But I hope it was a blessing to you. If we could, can we sing that song one more time? In Christ alone, I place my trust. And even if there is one person here today, I don't know how this message laid on your heart, but if you do not know Christ as your Savior, if you, if you think that you are trusting in, you name it, religion works if you think you're trusting in maybe the fact that you've been a good person and my good will outweigh my bad i got news to you if i didn't say it already through the message that's not how it works that's why jesus came and exploited the pharisee he got rid of that system because that system cannot work it does not work it's only through christ and it's only through christ alone if you don't have jesus as your personal savior if you do not know that heaven is going to be your home Make that commitment. Make that uh, just that calling upon your life. Make that decision today. Choose Jesus because he will free us from bondage. There's no anxiety. There's no pressure. There's no overwhelming guilt. That's all from the flesh. That's all from religious works. Jesus frees us and truly gives us a heart of joy and gratitude. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc, the number 4, me.org. May God bless you.